You're listening to Under a Pile of Books, and in this episode, I sit down with author Carol A. Park to talk about her books Banebringer and Sweetblade and the forthcoming Cursebreaker, as well as some of what she has planned for the future. I had a great time doing this interview. We have a wide-ranging discussion that touches on a bunch of interesting topics related to fantasy, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Carol A. Park, author of the Heretic God series, which uh, began with Banebringer and will continue with the forthcoming Cursebreaker. Uh, also, full disclosure, I'm related to Carol. She is my wife. So um, I'm looking forward to, to doing this interview. Welcome, Carol. Hi. So thank you so much for being willing to uh, come on the podcast and uh, and talk with me uh, about your books. Of course, I love them. Folks, you can read my uh, reviews and, uh, and whatnot on Goodreads. Uh, that's uh, because of our relationship, that's where they're posted, Goodreads, not any of the other sites that um, I review for or have reviewed for. But you can check them out over there. And uh, I love uh, all of these books. I think they're great. Banebringer um, is awesome. And Cursebreaker, which is coming out, you have the opportunity to uh, pre-order right now. Really cool as well. Uh, highly recommend it if you like epic fantasy and whatnot. But uh, Carol, what inspired you to become a writer? What was kind of the onus behind this? Uh, well, I've always enjoyed writing uh, since basically I learned how. Um, I should qualify. I always enjoyed writing fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those things I always wanted to do. Uh, middle and high school, you know, they, at least when I was in middle and high school, fiction writing kind of went out the window. It was all research and papers and criticizing literary pieces and stuff, uh, which is fine, but I wanted to write stories. So, <laughs> When I finally had time after school again, I decided to start writing again. Um, and somewhere in all of those years, I discovered Brandon Sanderson, who his particular take on magic was something that kind of gave me a little extra oomph. Like, I want to do that, too. Kind of started me on the road of not just playing around writing stories, but actually wanting to do this seriously. So. And w now when you say after school, you don't mean after high school, you mean... No, <laughs> I mean college and three years of grad school. So a long time of writing papers <laughs> before, I <got> back, <laughs> before I got back to fiction, my love. <laughs> so. Right, right. Very, very, very much nonfiction stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so uh, Banebringer... Uh, which is the first in the the Heretic Gods series, uh, was sort of this atmospherically dark tale that managed to still have these uh, these characters that were, you know, maybe if not noble, at least not not really grim dark characters. So was this intentional, or did it sort of come about as part of the the writing process? Well, I did not set out to write uh, grim dark, and I don't think. Heretic Gods is at all. Uh, it is definitely atmospherically dark. Um, literally, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever actually done a count, but I think 75% of the story must take place at night or underground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it absolutely. Has to I be. mean, it's, it's literally dark. There's also some uh, dark themes uh, with, you know, monsters or things like that. Um, and my characters are there. I would not call them noble, uh, but they're not really anti-heroes either. Um, and I, I did craft them deliberately that way. Uh, one of them is an assassin. 
So, like, I mean, she murders people for a living, so (laughs) that's not really a good character. But she's also, she's no vigilante either. I mean, she's not like Batman or something. Um, But even she's kind of eccentric. Um, And the core of kind of both of my main characters, Vaughn and Ivana, is that they've both really had a lot of uh, some terrible things that have happened to them. Um, And they basically deal with it in the same way, except different same way, meaning they turn to unhealthy ways of dealing with their pain, Um, different ways of dealing with it, but Mm -hmm, both unhealthy mm -hmm. ways, which I think, I mean, as the author, I think makes them empathetic rather than villains, Um, even though one of my characters is an assassin and there's a lot of room for growth. And that was definitely deliberate because I'm all about character arcs and growth. Um, I don't don't know that I'd ever really be able to write a true bad guy as the protagonist um, because I like reading about heroes, not bad guys, even if the heroes start in a dark place. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm very much the same way though. I've maybe become a little bit more accepting of, of anti-heroes the more I've, I've read in terms of, of fantasy, but uh, you, you, you talk about both your protagonists in Banebringer, um, Vaughn and Ivana, dealing with their, their pain in some, some unhealthy ways. And what was sort of the, the inspiration in having that as the, the commonality between uh, those two characters? How, how did that kind of, you know, why, why'd you do it that way? I think it's just one of those things where it's something that people do. Um, if they don't, if they don't know how to deal with their pain, uh, whatever yeah. that might mm-hmm. be, um, in a healthy way, then we kind of naturally turn to unhealthy ways of dealing with that. Uh, Ivana is a little bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't become cold-blooded killers to deal with their, you know, troubled pasts. But you know, <laughs> um, but Vaughn is probably, frankly, probably could be a little more typical of of what some people might might end up like if if they're trying to kind of numb themselves to uh, past pains, past hurts. Um, and so I think it's just I think it's just natural. I think it's just something that mm-hmm. humans tend mm-hmm. to do if if they don't for some reason aren't propelled or helped toward dealing with pain um, in a healthy manner. So to me, it was just a it's just something that people do, uh, and it just turned out differently for both of them in different ways. Yeah, well, and I, I think I think it makes both of them uh, very compelling characters, very, uh, like you said, relatable characters. And, uh, it, it, it keeps the pages turning. You want to know what, what happens to them. You're invested really from the very get go. Um, so I, I love that about, uh, Banebringer. Uh, the other thing I really, really loved about Banebringer uh, is the magic system, right? Mm. So, uh, folks who have listened to the podcast for a little while know that I am a huge fan of hard magic systems. And, uh, um, uh, you, of course, you know that about me as well. I'm constantly raving about uh, magic systems in different books. So, But <laughs> how, how did you come up with the magic system in Banebringer, which on the one hand is really, really science-y, right? Uh, but yet uh, on the other hand, there's still this kind of mysterious unknown element to it and this uh, kind of mythological element with the gods and whatnot. So how, how did you kind of come up with this fusion of of the two almost well i think it's really i think a lot of magic systems i don't want to say all um but because i haven't read all the hard magic systems in the world but uh, i think many 
magic systems that kind of fall on the, the hard side of the spectrum, if you will, are probably going to feel a little more sciencey, just just because the more rules you make, uh, the more boundaries, the more it feels like science. Like, when does science become magic? It's magic by virtue of it being something that's impossible in our world. Um, how much do you have to be able to explain it, to study it, to research it? Um, when does it become something scientific or technology, if you will, as opposed to magic? Mm, um, mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. of course, in mine, they literally use microscopes and trying to understand the magic. Yeah, right, 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 right. So that may give it a, even a slightly more sciencey feel than perhaps in some books. Um, but I think that then I also have, a, in particular, I have a fascination. I have always had a fascination with world mythologies of all sorts, um, pantheons and all, all sorts of things. And so my magic systems also tend to have divine origins because I really like tying them to these crazy pantheons that I make up. Uh, and I think that that's probably where the mysterious side comes in. Um, the magic is, is actually of divine origin ultimately. Uh, and there's really not anything scientific about that. You don't, you don't measure deities. I mean, I guess you could, I, I don't know, maybe somebody can write that magic system, (laughs) but generally speaking, deities are more mysterious or more, you know, why are they the way they are? And so I think that that's, that kind of brings that mythological mysterious side to something that, especially in Bainbringer, where they're, yeah, once, like I said, literally studying it with microscopes, <laughs> um, kind of balances that science feel to it. So, yeah, absolutely. Though, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned Brandon Sanderson earlier. He's a great example of someone who has taken, you know, deities and magic deriving from deities and made it very much. Um, measurable and uh, you know scientific and whatnot in terms of his Cosmere. So, oh yes, definitely, <laughs> literally I, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, no, that, that's exactly. I mean, they they can literally measure it sometimes, and 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 you know all of the the spoilers for those of you who haven't read Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere yeah, stuff yet. <laughs> You know, so warning, but, uh, you know, they're all derived each, each of the different, uh, the different worlds are, you know, the magic is derived in some way from the, the shard of Adelnalcium that's ruling on that, that planet. So I don't yeah. know how he keeps all that stuff straight. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has Peter to keep it all straight. Oh, I yeah. think that's yeah, Peter's yeah. job. That's right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so obviously Brandon's great, but, but I really do enjoy, uh, the magic system in the heretic gods. And that's actually something that was different about, so you wrote, you have Banebringer, which is book one of the heretic gods and Cursebreaker, which is, is coming out soon. And that's the, the, the sequel to Banebringer, right? Yes. The direct sequel. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, the direct sequel. And then there's this other book that, that you wrote, um, which uh, actually this year was a uh, semifinalist in Spiffbo called Sweet Blade. And this is sort of a standalone, but it follows Ivana's backstory. And one thing that, that really strikes me about Sweet Blade in comparison to, to Banebringer and Cursebreaker is... It's it, first of all, it's a very dark book, uh, very dark, and uh, you know I don't just mean in this case atmospherically, but I mean like emotionally dark, and it also almost completely lacks the magic that we see in in Banebringer. So 
why write something so different between books one and two? So I wrote <laughs> Sweet Blade. <laughs> so I wrote Sweet Blade because I, I needed to personally figure out Ivana's character in Vainbringer. <laughs> I, I started writing it before I finished editing Vainbringer. Um, and not because I really actually originally intended necessarily on publishing her backstory. Uh, she was a complicated character to figure out. Um, <laughs> so, so I wrote it trying to kind of get it to click, which it did. It definitely helped. Um, and then I'd written enough that I figured why not publish it. So it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's dark because Ivana's backstory is very dark. It's tragic. Um, you've got this basically kind of girl next door kind of character who, because of poor decisions on her part, uh, as what combined with just, just, just some really tragic things that happen in her life, as I mentioned earlier, basically turns to becoming a cold-blooded killer to try to squelch her emotions so she doesn't have to feel the pain anymore. And, and as you might imagine, that's kind of emotionally dark. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a horribly depressing. depressing book. I mean, it's really depressing, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's great. It's wonderful that the, the, <clears throat> the, the, seeing the character growth is really phenomenal and really well done, but it's a really dark and depressing book. Yes. So that's, yes, it, it is. I, I don't argue there. I don't think I really realized how dark it would be when I set out to write it. Um, <laughs> I can only write it because I know the full character arc for that character. I don't know if I would really have written something like that in a vacuum, <laughs> but um, it doesn't have them. That's, but that's why it's dark. It's dark because that's Ivana's character. Um, it, it doesn't have the magic because once again, Ivana is not a magic user. Um, she's not a bane bringer in other words. Um, and magic doesn't, figure prominently into her backstory in any way it, it appears briefly um by virtue of the world building the sky fire things like that but there's that's really that it's really simple the reason it's not there is because it's not in her backstory um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just the nature of the story and i really wasn't interested in deviating from that in order to kind of force it to include more magic um, it was already longer than it was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I did struggle with that cause I didn't know if people who liked Banebringer would like Sweet Blade. It is very different. It, the things that a lot of people like about Banebringer were not, I think I still had the character elements, but certainly the magic system, which a lot of yeah, people yeah, said right. that they enjoy mm -hmm. and like is, is not prominent at all in Sweet Blade. So it's a, it's a through and through character story. It is, it is about her arc you called it growth. I, I guess it's growth. The growth we usually think of in a positive way. <laughs> it's like backwards growth. I, I don't know what you call that, but um, death, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind Look, of a depressing she, Ivana is very different at the end of Sweet Blade than she was at the beginning she, of Sweet yes, Blade. So. Yes, she is. Um, but anyway, so, that, so that's in a, kind of a simple answer. It's dark and it's lacks magic because that's her story. Right, so, sure, sure. Kind of followed it where it needed to go. So... Uh, so We've talked uh, a bit about Banebringer and a bit about Sweet Blade here. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Cursebreaker, and it it's it's available for pre-order right now. Releases on December twelfth, Thursday, December twelfth. Uh, so, folks, uh, go go grab that. And if you haven't read Banebringer yet, go grab Banebringer, read that, and then go get Cursebreaker. It's great. But without getting into spoilers. For Cursebreaker, do you have a favorite arc uh, in the second novel, in Cursebreaker? Gosh, that's hard. <laughs> I, I had so much fun with Cursebreaker. Um, 
I, I really enjoyed drafting it. Um, it. It was, it was just a lot of fun in so many ways. So, and it's also hard to kind of identify some of my favorite um, bits without getting into spoilers. Sure. Right. But yeah. character wise, my favorite arc is probably going to be the ongoing uh, relationship or non-relationship or whatever you want to call it between, <laughs> between Vaughn and Ivana uh, and how that kind of develops and changes in Cursebreaker in relation to their own individual arcs. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I had fun with that again. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite character arc. It's really more like two arcs joining, like combining in a way, but the interactions of those two arcs together anyways. Um, plot wise, there's a section near the middle that was a blast to write. And I can say absolutely nothing about because it would be complete and total spoil. Oh, but it's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> I would say, you know what section I mean since you yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it was uh, fantastical and crazy and also had juicy character stuff. And I just loved it. I loved writing it. Uh, it's probably one of the, I loved, I even loved editing it, <laughs> which is something, <laughs> saying something. So I can't wait. To, it's just a, a favorite bit and I can't say anything about it, Ugh, but you know, so. Yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. I, I, I really, um, I'm so glad I got to, to read the, the, uh, completed manuscript, uh, in advance and, um, uh, I'll be rereading it when it, when it releases, but, uh, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really it, it's great. And I'm looking forward particularly to that, um, that sequence that you're talking about uh, folks. It comes right around the midpoint of the book. So when you get there, you will know. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. So, um, so now this is, this is a question that I really put in here because I want to talk about this. So, <laughs> okay. uh, what, what, what are your future plans? And, and in particular, in a recent newsletter, uh, you mentioned a, a new series, The Chronicles of the Lady Sar. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. The Chronicles of the Lady Sar. Yeah, that's, it is a new, completely different. It's not related to the Heritage of God's world in any way. Um, it's epic. It's, this one is epic fantasy uh, in the truest sense, uh, meaning it involves large-scale events. Um, the Heritage of God's is a little more I mean, it involves an empire, uh, and, and the scope certainly widens as we go on. But it's still, it's still more, I'd say, action adventure, sword and sorcery than true epic fantasy. Um, but, but this one is is epic fantasy, um, earth shaking, earth changing events, <laughs> uh, while still being very personal, because um, I love characters. So, basically, the concept for it is uh, there's. There's this kind of classic fantasy trope um, that you'll find in, in a lot of the classic fantasy. Yeah, you think like Lord of the Rings or Wheel of Time um, of this thing, this really this thing that happened a long time ago. Like the world was this great golden age of wonderfulness. Uh, and then something happened, darkness over the land, dark lords, whatever, um, to kind of break the world, to change it irrevocably mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. forever and ever. And then the stories that are written are about the stories, you know, whatever, thousands of years later, they reference this, this story that happened a long time ago. Uh, and usually it involves like some dark God coming back, <laughs> you know, or once again, the fingers of evil are stretching right. across yeah, the yeah. land, you know, whatever. Um, and I thought it would be, I don't know where I even got this idea, but I thought it would be interesting to write, not the story millennia later, but to actually write about the thing that happened that uh, kind of broke the world, changed it, ruined it, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so that's the trope that I'm kind of playing with with this series. Um, we're starting with a 
almost perfect world. Um, and kind of exploring the events that cause it to kind of uh, descend into chaos and through the eyes of characters who are who will later be legends um, and but but how they get involved in it and their lives and their very personal stories as they're kind of getting wrapped up in these events um, so that that is the concept for that book <laughs> um, so it sounds to me like you don't write grimdark but you just like writing dark and depressing stories it's not, I don't think it's dark and depressing. Well, the first one's not really dark and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the first one, I think people who read Heretic Gods will probably be quite surprised at how not dark and depressing it is. Um, my characters couldn't be more different from my protagonists in Heretic Gods. Um, sometimes, like, exactly the opposite. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, it, 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 it starts very hopeful. Um my characters are so, so noble. They are shiny. Um, so, <laughs> and so we really, it's about breaking people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> Taking noble break characters and breaking them. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, I, I certainly cannot wait uh, for that to, to release. And do you, do you have a release date for the first book in that series or? I don't have a firm release date, but I'm I'm shooting for quarter two of 2020. Cool. Um, cool. So, so six months or so. Yep. Yep. Won't be too long. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, but before we get there, of course, uh, we've we've got uh, Curse Breaker coming up here in in uh, in just a couple days. So talk some about about your particular worlds and characters and stuff, and and, and I love all of those, but. What draws you to the fantasy genre sort of more more generally? I think, it, you know, on the surface, it's the magic, really. It, it's it's the kind of the fantastical mm-hmm, nature, mm-hmm. things that are beyond possibility in this world. It, it's just that yeah, imagination, yeah, yeah. Uh, magical creatures, magical powers, whole worlds that function differently. Um, I, I, I love that. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. A fantasy without magic. I've read them and loved them. But at the end of the day, for me, fantasy, I like writing fantasy with magic. I think it's what really draws me to it. Um, and I think on a deeper level, it can kind of critique our world, things that happen in our world, mm. um, mm-hmm. while telling a fun story in a completely different world. Um, and I think in so doing, I think because it's not our world, it has the ability to kind of be timeless in a way, uh, instead of a story being mired in a time and place we understand. It's something so fantastical that, I mean, Lord of the Rings, for instance, I rest in that's the classic, you know, it has magic rings and elves and dwarves and, you know, walking, talking trees. Um, you know, spoiler yeah, warning. Right. There's no spoiler warnings for Lord of the Rings. If that's you right, haven't that's read right. it too bad. <laughs> that's too bad at this point. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> and, and that, I just reread that last year, this year, and I was marveling at how there was still so much relevance mm-hmm, to some of the themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. that come up and I think fantasy you know it doesn't have to be it do, fantasy doesn't have to be deep to be fun but I think it can be I think I think it can bring across sure. themes it can bring across um things that can touch us uh, in ways that yes contemporary stories can absolutely do 
but can do it in a way that is kind of sidesteps the in your note in your face on the nose sort of way of doing it. <laughs> so. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, it's particular to maybe secondary world fantasy, but yeah, well, yeah, yes, I should I should say that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but 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 I think that's that's really true because uh, you know sometimes you know you even think of reading something that's absolutely not a fantasy at all, but but say um, like Pride and Prejudice, most mm. printings of of say Pride and Prejudice now come with at least some number of notes on the text, yes. right. To, to explain, <laughs> Oh, 10,000 a year was a large sum of money. Like, you right. know, and, yes. and basic stuff like that, you kind of have to explain the world. Whereas in secondary world fantasy, typically the author explains the world to you in the text. Yeah. And as a result, it's not really relying on any audience knowledge, uh, that, that would just be assumed when you're writing to a contemporary audience, you know, so that's, that's an interesting, interesting idea there that, that, that helps to make it timeless. And, uh, I, I like that. That's, that's something I hadn't really considered before. I think, I mean, there's certainly ways in which it can be non-timeless. Uh, you know, people are still writing out of their cultural contexts. And so things still appear that we would today be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. But uh, in, in other ways, it can certainly has the potential to be timeless mm. in that way. So. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. Uh, so, speaking of fantasy as a genre, if you could have dinner with any character from all of fantasy literature, who would it be? <laughs> That's really hard because <laughs> everyone so, tells me this is a hard question. Well, there's so many fun characters. I mean, I I could think of probably half a dozen off the top of my head, um, but I think if I had to pick. Which I do, because you're telling me sure, I have that's to. that's right. That's right. I'm telling you you have to. You do have to <laughs> so, pick. I think it would be Samwise Gamgee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who is, I, which seems like a strange choice. I don't know. But he's this normal, everyday character, right? Mm-hmm. Who, he's not even the one who has to, like, bear the burden of the ring. All right? He's not the one who kind of had that obligation put on him or felt like he had to take that obligation, right? He's just, his loyalty and love for his friend kind of transcends the darkest yeah. the darkest times i mean lord of the rings is amazing in the way that it it takes something that is just hopeless completely hopeless and somehow injects hope into it and i think mm-hmm. samwise gamgee mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. kind of the quintessential he's just like the the example of that and i yeah. i'd love to ask him like how did he do it how did he walk through that darkness knowing he could have left what kept him going what what kind of gave him that hope mm-hmm. in the midst of that that bottom of the pit. Um, I just think that would be, you know, like assuming and talking to him afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. I would just yeah. love to hear hear that more of what went on inside of him. Uh, that wasn't something that Tolkien was necessarily known for. <laughs> so yeah, I, right, sure, sure. I would yeah. like to talk yeah. to Sam character Lewis depth was not necessarily <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tolkien's. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where I, I think that's where I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I I, I like the the Sam Gangy pick, especially because of the the reason behind it, right? Asking him about, you know, why why go on? Why how how do you how do you make hope out of out of a situation that seems really so so hopeless? Um, you know, and, and in some ways, I wonder almost if uh, if if Sam is the character that in some ways is closest to Tolkien himself. Um, j- mm. Just in, in terms of, of, you know, 
Tolkien's own experiences and whatnot. And as much as, you know, he, he says, oh, Lord of the Rings isn't an allegory or whatever, I, I, I do wonder yeah. if, you know, <laughs> I do wonder if, if Sam is kind of uh, a little bit of him in the story, so. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not an allegory. We'll take him at face value. But it, he was obviously influenced by oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the darkness and despair of his own day. So, um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. so I, I yeah. And, and in some ways, I think Samwise Gamgee kind of stands in for the every the every man or every woman, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. um, character. Uh, just, you know, the gardener. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Up to, and, and goes on this like epic quest. Um, and somehow manages to walk all the way through the end through through literally like the pits of despair <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. like so I think it, it is, it is it, he's an interesting character um, yeah. in that way yeah I know he really is he really is and, and definitely a favorite for uh, a lot of folks um, so uh, well Carol thank you so much for uh, for spending some time with us uh, on the podcast here where can can folks find you and your books online? Um, well, uh, you can find my books on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm if you want to follow me, interact with me, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, uh, Park Carol A is my that's my name. Park Carol A. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is my handle. That that's where you can follow me. I tend to be most active there. If you want to know everything about you know, when I went to see Frozen 2 from updates on my books, that's Maximum <laughs> Carol. If that's a little too much for you, um, <laughs> you can follow me on Facebook, too. I tend to only update that sporadically. Uh, and you can also go to my website, carolapark.com, um, and sign up for my newsletter, which I would recommend if you want the latest info, uh, along with bonus newsletter exclusive stuff. So, um, And I'll also mention before we go that Banebringer, uh, the first book in the Heretic Gods will be, or possibly already is, when this airs, I'm not sure, uh, on sale um, for uh, 99 cents um, as kind of a um, promo for Cursebreakers release for those who have not read Banebringer. Um, and Cursebreakers got a special pre-order price as well. So if you read Banebringer and are interested in reading it uh, or picking it up, you can save two bucks by picking it up now <laughs> instead of waiting till after it releases. So there you go. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me.